G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Pastor Craig Laurie explains his concern that we present a balanced perspective on the gospel message. We have to give the full story. Before you can fully appreciate the good news of forgiveness, you need to understand the bad news. Bad news. God hates sin. Good news. God does not hate sinners. Even more good news. God loved us so much he sent his son to die on the cross and take that judgment upon himself. This is the day when the lost are found. This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Again you hear all the angels are singing. This is the day, the day when life begins. What kind of doctor would run some tests and leave out all the bad news? The bad news may be hard to hear, but before you can cure the disease, you have to know about the disease. Today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie points out that believers have the cure for an eternal disease, a problem that could affect us for eternity. And we'll recognise the importance of delivering the bad news and good news side by side so people can be saved from the sickness of sin. Let's read now a few verses together. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 16. Paul writes these words. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature so they have no excuse for not knowing God. All right, if you're taking notes, here's point number one. Salvation is not earned, but it's given to us as a gift from God. Again, salvation is not earned, but it is given to us as a gift from God. Look at verse 17. The just shall live by faith. This word just is speaking of your new position before God. I'm just or made right with God. I'm justified. I'll explain that more as we get deeper into Romans, but I'm in a right relationship with Him. I am a child of God now. I stand right before the Lord, not because of what I've done, but solely because of what He has done. Now, my objective as a Christian is to walk and to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Point number two, this salvation that God has given us is given because God loves us. It's given to us because God loves us. Not because I merit it, not because I deserve it, but because God loves me. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. 
Some of you are thinking, excuse me, I don't see how that verse gives you that point. The wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness and your point is God loves us? Yes, that's right. Listen to this, a God of love must hate anything that harms those he loves. So when we say that God has wrath, we're simply pointing out that he is against anything that harms each of us. So it comes down to this. Before you can fully appreciate the good news of forgiveness, you need to understand the bad news. Bad news. God hates sin. More bad news. The wages of sin are death. Good news. God does not hate sinners. In fact, he loves them. Even more good news. God loved us so much he sent his son to die on the cross and take that judgment upon himself. So the bottom line is the only way to be forgiven of sin is through Jesus. Not through good works, not through clean living, not by religion or by rule keeping. Point number three. There is no excuse for living in rebellion against the God who loves you. There's no excuse for living in rebellion against the God who loves you. Look at verse 19 of Romans 1 and I'm reading now from the New Living Translation. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. All around us is the evidence of God. Not only in our lives, but all through creation you see God's hand at work. I read an interesting statement that was written by Robert Jastrow, an astrophysicist and former director of NASA. Here's what he said, and I quote, Now we see how the astronomical evidence supports the biblical view of the origin of the world. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who've been sitting there for centuries, end quote. I love that. Written by a scientist. Oh, they're searching and they're trying to find out the origin of the universe. And they finally discover, oh yeah, those theologians, those Christians, those Bible believers were right all along. Bottom line, God will reveal himself to the true seeker. So when someone says, oh, I'm seeking God, then they will find their way to Jesus Christ. Let me flip that around. If they don't find their way to Jesus Christ, are they a true seeker? Point number four. When you're out of fellowship with God, you have conflict with other people too. When you're out of fellowship with God, you have conflict with others too. Verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Ungodliness basically is describing our rebellion against God. Unrighteousness is basically describing our sin against man. Remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he had two tablets, right? The Ten Commandments. The first four commandments had to do with our relationship with God. Shall have no other gods before me. Don't have graven images. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. And the second six commandments had to do with our relationship with people. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. The point is, is that unrighteousness is when we sin against each other. Ungodliness is when we sin against God. And here's the thing. God is basically saying, look, 
I will give you over to the way you want to live if that's the way you want to go. Look at verse 28. He gave them over to a depraved mind. In other words, God will allow you to pursue what you want to pursue. Careful what you wish for, you might get it. So look, if you want to run from God, God's not going to stop you from exercising your free will. The prodigal son went to his father, loose paraphrase, basically said, Dad, I'm sick of waiting for you to kick the bucket. I want my inheritance now, so give it to me. We would have understood it if the father would have said, no, son, I love you too much. You're gonna make bad decisions and, and hurt yourself. I won't give it to you. The father said, here you go, boy, and gave it to his son. And off that boy skipped out of town with all that money, and man, he blew it all, messed up his life, and regretted it. But the point is the father allowed him to exercise his free will. Now take the children of Israel. They uh, were delivered from Egypt and uh, God fed them with manna every day. Remember, manna, manna in the morning, manna in the afternoon, manna in the evening. It's manna all day long. By the way, the word manna comes from the Hebrew uh, crispo cremo. <laughs> you probably never heard this before. That's because it's, I'm making it up. That's why you've never heard it. But it was sweet to the taste. It was called the food of angels. The awesome thing is you woke up in the morning, there's manna waiting for you. It's there all day long. You didn't have to go out and get your food. It was nice. After a while though, they got sick of it. They went to Moses, we're sick of manna. We, we've had everything you have to offer. We, we're tired of banana pancakes. <laughs> we're, we're tired of manna cotty. We're tired of anything with manna. We want meat. We remember meat. And God says, you really think they want meat? Moses says, that's what they're asking for. The Lord said, stand back, Moses. And the Bible says it rained quail on them. These birds just fell out of the sky. These guys were so hungry for meat, they ate the birds before they were even prepared. It was sort of like bird sushi, <laughs> but worse. And you know what the Bible says? It turned bitter in their mouth. And the Bible then comments and says, he gave them what they wanted but sent leanness to their souls coming back to my point, careful what you ask for, you might get it. I want this. God, don't hold me back. The Lord says, I, I'm telling you, don't do that. I'm gonna do it. The Lord says, go for it. And off we go, yeah. And then we say, oh. It turns bitter in our mouth, right? But God will let you do what you wanna do, and that's what this is saying. He turned them over. Pastor Greg Laurie, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California. Today we've been highlighting the lessons learned from the parable of the prodigal son as we consider the danger of, re the danger of rejecting God. Pastor Greg continues now. Now verses 28 to 32 of Romans 1 describes what happens when you push God out of your life and when God lets you do what you want to do. And I'm going to read those verses from a modern translation, so just listen. Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them. I like that translation. And let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose. Rampant evil, grabbing and grasping, vicious backstabbing. They made life hell on earth with their envy, wanton killing, bickering, and cheating. They kept inventing new ways of wrecking lives. It's not as if they didn't know better. They know perfectly well they're spitting in God's face and they don't care. Wow. Sounds like a little bit of commentary on our culture today. 
And notice it says they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. This speaks of a determined action to go one's own way. In other words, it's not just a person that says, I want to live without God. I want to live in my sin. But I don't want you to have a relationship with God. In fact, I don't want you to impose your opinion on me. I have found that the people that talk the most about tolerance can be some of the most intolerant people I've ever met. You understand what I'm saying? Tolerance, tolerance. And they say, Christians are so intolerant. I don't think that's true. The Christians I know are some of the most tolerant people I've ever met. Now we may not agree with the person's ideas, but we'll still show kindness to them. We'll still try to help them. We'll try to reason with them and of course try to persuade them to believe in Jesus and live by what the Bible says. But even if they choose not to, we won't harm them. We won't try to silence them. But there are those today that that want to silence those of us who believe in our faith and we believe in what the Bible says. And listen folks, this is why every one of us needs to register and vote. This really matters right now. That's your cue to applaud. Go for it. Some of you aren't applauding. Well, I don't know, it's getting political. Of course I'm getting political. My faith spills into every area of my life, and yours should too. If it should affect everything that I do and everything that I think, and yes, even the way that I vote. You know, some would mischaracterize Christians as wanting to sort of legislate morality. When in reality, for years, we've seen immorality legislated in a way. We're actually not trying to do that at all. If anything, we don't want more government. We want less government. We want the government to leave us alone because we don't believe government is God. We believe God is God. And we believe the gospel has the answers, not government. We want the freedom to believe what we believe and we don't want to be silenced. And by the way, our founding fathers believe that. Their objective was not to keep church out of state, but more to keep state out of church. People want to fight any influence of faith in the public square, but our founding fathers wanted us to have the freedom to express our faith. And there are people who, if elected, will try to suppress us from doing this. So we need to register. We need to vote. We need to be informed on issues. Vote for candidates that want us to keep our liberty as Christians to practice our faith. Vote for candidates that support the life of the unborn child still in the womb. This isn't rocket science. <laughs> Point number five. When you reject God, ruin follows. When you reject God, ruin follows. Verse 21. Though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. By the way, this verse reminds us why we're on this earth to start with. Why are we on this earth? To glorify God. Psalm 28 says, Give unto the Lord glory. Give glory and strength that's due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And then over in Psalm 107 it says, Give thanks unto the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. So we are to give glory to God. But these people are not glorifying God. They're not giving thanks to God. Number six, when you reject God, you'll lose perspective in the way that you think and live. 
When you reject God, you'll lose perspective in the way you think and live. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became utter fools. And by the way, that word fools is a root word moron or moronic. <laughs> Instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, <laughs> some people would worship animals. You say, well, I don't worship animals. Well, what about the bears and the seahawks and the lions and the falcons? <laughs> now, I'm just kind of kidding about this a little bit. A little bit. Let me explain. Nothing wrong with having a team that you love. Nothing wrong with wearing your team colors. When you get a permanent tattoo in the middle of your forehead with your team logo, maybe it's a little excessive. But you know, you'll see people at games. They're dressed in the colors of their team. They have their face painted and they're screaming and yelling. And then afterwards, if their team doesn't win, they get in fights with people supporting the other team. And there's all this emotion. And then someone sees someone at church with one hand lifted up and they'll say, that's fanatical. <laughs> Can we be at least as fanatical about our God as we are about our favorite sports team? At least? Better yet? Better yet, can we not be more fanatical or to use another word, more worshipful or glorifying of our God? You know, there's a growing trend in our culture today that some experts have defined as pet worship. You know where I'm going with this, right? I mean, I love animals as much as the next guy. I've always been an animal lover, love dogs. Cats, eh, you know, but, but even cats, I'm okay. I tolerate cats, okay? I'm tolerant. I actually have a cat in my neighborhood. He shows up and uh, he's kind of a cool cat. And so the other day I went to get him some milk and all I had was almond milk. Well, I, and it was full because who wants to drink almond milk? I don't even know how it got on my fridge. I didn't buy it. <laughs> and I thought, well, the cat will never know the difference. So I poured almond milk in his bowl. Even the cat didn't want the almond milk. <laughs> and that made me respect the cat. You know, like, okay, you know what? I respect you more because you're a discerning cat. You know the difference between milk from cows and milk from almonds. Anyway, but nowadays, you know, people have become so obsessed with their animals, right? They want to take them on airplanes. And I understand some people get stressed when they fly, but I saw a picture of someone, I'm not making this up, trying to take a peacock on an airplane. Do you know how big a peacock is? In other words, someone to take their pig on an airplane? My wife's done that for years with me, but that's another story. <laughs> but you know, and now dogs, dogs go everywhere. Dogs are with us at the table. Dogs, you know, you're carrying the dog. You, you push, you know what I'm, where I'm going, right? You put the dog in the stroller, just stop that. Do not put your dog in the stroller, just don't. Now that's a silly illustration, but we let other things take the place of God. Pastor Greg Laurie pointing out the way the culture so easily turns from God and begins focusing on other things. And there's more to come in this message called Everybody Needs Jesus, so be sure to join us next time for A New Beginning. Today's message from Pastor Greg Laurie was called Everybody Needs Jesus, Part 1. 
If you'd like to listen again, just download the free Vision Christian Media app where it's available as a podcast, along with more inspiring Christian content. Just search your app store for Vision Christian Media. Station sponsor. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.